WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio proudly presents the Marian Hour with Father Dwight Campbell, spiritual advisor to WSFI and pastor of Our Lady of Mount Carmel and St. Therese in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Good afternoon, everyone. On this day, just two days before the celebration of the Nativity of Our Lord, December 23rd. If you'll join me with an opening prayer, uh, we'll pray the Memorare in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. St. John of Conti, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Angela, today is the feast day of St. John of Conti, who's also known as St. John Cantius. He lived in the 1700s, pardon me, in the 1400s <coughs> in, in Poland. And um, I think I, I, I have a kind of an affinity uh, for St. John of Cantius because I offered my first Mass at St. John Cantius Church uh, when Father Frank Phillips was the pastor there before he began his um, canons uh, regular of St. John Cantius. Uh, that was almost 30 years ago. <coughs> and there's a beautiful story about St. John Cantius. Do you know anything about him? I don't. Okay, well, St. John Cantius was uh, uh, a brilliant professor. He was the head of um, philosophy and scripture at the University of Krakow. And because other, you know, academe is so, uh, a lot of backbiters when you get into the academic world and uh, people were jealous of him, he ended up being, um, you know, having to take an assignment in a, in a parish as a parish priest uh, for a while, and he didn't do too well. And uh, this shows you that even the saints, they, they don't uh, uh, necessarily blossom in, in every activity that they're involved with. And after he kind of failed as a parish pastor, he went back to teaching. And um, he was very knows f known for his great humility. They, they in his canonization homily, Pope Clement the Thirteenth, I think it was, uh, he noted how he would go right from the classroom in teaching to the chapel to pray. He would pray for hours. He was a great ascetic. Slept on the floor, ate little food, gave everything away. And there's a beautiful story about him, which I told today in my morning homily. Um, he was walking down the road one day, and he got accosted by some robbers. So they, they took all his money, uh, almost all of it. Well, they were walking away, and, and John Cantius, uh, he found like two little coins in his pocket that the, the robbers missed. So he went chasing after them. He said, oh, wait a minute, I, I have two more coins here, okay? <laughs> you missed these. And so they felt so bad, <laughs> they gave all the money back to him. <laughs> so um, so St. John Cantius, a beautiful uh, saint. Um, on this 23rd of December. Well, <coughs> you know, if you, if you remember 
Angela, I'll ask you, can you remember, little, little test, I don't oh. want to embarrass you, but I'm sure you'll be able to answer this question, okay? Uh-oh. What was the gospel this past Sunday, for Sunday of Advent? Do you, do you, do you remember what Nathan the... Nathan building, building the chapel, <coughs> building the church. Well, that's the, the first Canada reading. Well, that was the first reading. The first reading is, is, is David wants to build um, a temple for the Lord. And th- uh, and oh, and it was on the Blessed Mother. Right. The and visitation, maybe. Not the visitation. No, what was it? It was... Uh-oh. Archangel Gabriel. Oh, was it the Annunciation? It was oh. the Annunciation, oh. yes. That was the gospel. Okay, And... You know, we're two days before Christmas, and in the minds of the the great saints of antiquity, the fathers, especially um, of the church, they saw the incarnation and the birth of Jesus as kind of one event almost, okay? He's conceived and born, even though we have a different feast day for the incarnation. That's March 25th. We don't celebrate it as... Um, as great in a, in a great as way in as great a way I should say as we do Christmas and it should be celebrated because it was then when the word becomes flesh that the greatest event in the history of the world takes place God becomes man while remaining God nine months later he's born on December 25th but uh, we, we should I think my own opinion is if I were the Pope I would make it a holy day of obligation, March 25th, and that would help to bring about, I think, a realization, a recognition in the minds and the hearts of people that Jesus began his human life at conception. It would be good for the pro-life cause, you know, life at conception, and really have us focus on uh, the incarnation as, as the great event in world history. So. Um, the fourth Sunday of Advent, we considered in the Gospel this account that St. Luke gives us. No doubt he, he received this information, the account from the Blessed Virgin Mary of how the Archangel Gabriel came, announced to her the good news that she would be the mother of, of God. Okay, And, um, <coughs> well, just to talk about the Incarnation, for for a couple of minutes because we're we're going to be celebrating the birth of the Lord and like I said in the mind of the the fathers of the church the incarnation the birth of our Lord are are so linked it's it's almost like one one event um, it it really is incomprehensible it blows our mind you could say the the incarnation the second person of the Trinity while remaining God, becomes man in the womb of the Blessed Virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, (coughs) you know, this is the second greatest mystery after the first greatest mystery. The central mystery of our faith is the Trinity. The Trinity. Three persons and one God. That's something we will never be able to understand, wrap our minds around, even in heaven. And the next greatest mystery is the Incarnation. The Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. And w- we, we really can't fathom this. I have a theory. I don't, know, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you or the audience here. Okay. 
you know, it's a, it's a tradition in the church, kind of a common teaching, that um, when God created the angels, before he allowed them into his presence to see him, once you see God, you cannot sin, he gave them a test of obedience. Okay. Do you know what that test of obedience was? Angela? Whether they'd worship the man God? Or right, yeah. right. That is commonly accepted as, as you know, God revealed to the angels, all the angels who were created good, that the Son of God would become man, and that they would have to worship this God-man. And we, the Franciscan tradition adds another revelation given to the angels, that they would have to honor and venerate the Virgin Mary, the mother of the Son of God. And Satan and the fallen angels, well, they became fallen angels when they rebelled against God, I will not serve. That's a line from the prophet Jeremiah attributed to Satan. You know, I, I will not obey this command to, to worship the God-man. He's, he's just, you know, a man that's, we're, we're angels, you know. Um, humanity is below us. I think, my own opinion, is that Satan was the first rationalist. He was the most beautiful, intelligent of all the angels, a seraphic angel. And I think he rebelled because he couldn't understand how God could become man by remaining God. So uh, I think that's the, the genesis of his disobedience. Anyway, um, When the angel announces to Mary this good news, um, the incarnation takes place at her fiat. And I'll quote one of the great saints of antiquity. This is Pope Saint Leo the Great. You know, many saints, I'm going to quote a number of them today, talking about you know, the Son of God becoming man in Mary's womb. And this is what Pope Saint Leo the Great says. The divine nature, that is of God, and the nature of a servant, man, were united in one person, so that the creator of time might be born in time, and he through whom all things were made might be brought forth in their midst. So we see this beautiful prose that the great saints of antiquity had, a, their phraseology is, is so moving and compelling um, and something is, is revealed here that's extremely, extremely important, that Jesus is just one person. He is not a human person. He's only a divine person. He's the second person of the Trinity. If we, we say he's a human person, then we're making Jesus two persons. That's the heresy of Nestorius. Um, and that was why the Council of Ephesus was held in 431 to refute that heresy that Mary only gave, conceived and gave birth to the human person, Jesus. The, d the divine person later united himself to the human person. No, Mary conceived and gave birth to only one person, the second person of the Trinity, who took a human nature, a human body, human soul, with a human mind, intellect, a human will, and that human nature was united to the one person 
of Christ, who is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. And we'll never be able to understand the, the beauty, the depth of this mystery. It's, like I said, the second greatest mystery next to the, the mystery of the Trinity, the central mystery of our faith, that the eternal God, the creator of, of all things, humbles himself and takes a human nature of his creatures, of man, in order to redeem man from his sin of rebellion against his creator and to restore him to a share of God's own divine life. We call that sanctifying grace, which was lost by the sin of Adam. I'll quote another saint, Irenaeus. He has many beautiful lines. He's, he was a second century bishop, died um, uh, in about 180, I think it was. He was the Bishop of Lyon, which is, I've been to Lyon, modern day France. There's a beautiful basilica um, dedicated to Our Lady in Lyon. But back then, in the second century, it wasn't France. It was known by another name, the country. You know what that was, I Angela? Gaul. Gaul. Oh, was, Gaul, yeah. Gaul is divided into three parts. Yeah, Gaul <laughs> was, was, Gaul was, um, was, it was uh, a Roman, you know, uh, uh, occupied territory. And here's what St. Irenaeus says about Jesus. He it was who took on the likeness of sinful flesh to condemn sin and rid the flesh of sin. He wanted to invite man to take on his likeness, establishing man in a life of obedience to the Father that would lead to the vision of God. This is really why God becomes man, in order to open the gates of heaven for us so that we can have the vision of God, the beatific vision. So um, the incarnation is also called the fullness of time. You know why that is? There's, this comes from St. Paul. In the fullness of time, God uh, uh, became man of, of a woman. Okay, And um, the fullness of time means that all of time, which began at God's creation, is ordered towards this central point in human history, the Incarnation. It's the fullness of time, when God becomes man. Another reason why we should be celebrating the Incarnation, you say the Annunciation of the Incarnation, March 25th, with greater fanfare than we do and make it a holy day of obligation. Anyway, um, so another reason it's the fullness of time is because all the Old Testament prophecies look toward this event. This event, the God becoming man and then being born and then offering his life for us. Okay, everything starts at the incarnation. And, you know, we can look at the Old Testament, many, many prophecies of the Old Testament. Uh, the first one, of course, is Genesis, the Proto-Evangelium. Right after the sin of Adam, God speaks to the serpent, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, between your seed and hers, and it will crush your head. That's Hebrew, uh, translated, he will crush your head, Jesus properly, he, he does this by dying on the cross, but also 
a proper translation, St. Jerome's, Latin Vulgate, she shall crush your head. That's the Virgin Mary. She's the woman. So that's the first prophecy, which shows the woman, Mary, her seed, her son, Jesus, being united in this plan of redemption. Okay, That's why Mary's at the foot of the cross. She gives birth to him. She's at the foot of the cross. She's the co-redemptrix, the cooperatrix of our salvation and redemption. So can you think of some other Old Testament prophecies, Angela? How about Isaiah? Okay. You mean pr- predicting the crucifixion of Christ? No, no, oh. the, the, the incarnation birth. Oh, the incarnation. Yes. Okay, think of this. How about this one? Now, the virgin, oh, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be Emmanuel. Emmanuel. That's it. You got it. Oh, yes. I got that right. I'm going to roll okay. today. Now, Matthew quotes that in his gospel because there's some debate among biblical scholars whether a uh, virgin in the original Hebrew, it could mean young woman, it could mean uh, an unmarried woman, you know, or a virgin, properly speaking, who's taken a vow. Actually, the Greek Septuagint uh, translates the Hebrew word Alma, which has different meanings, Parthenos, which means virgin, not just any young woman unmarried, virgin takes a vow of virginity. And Matthew confirms this when he quotes Isaiah in his gospel. Okay, So that's, that's one of the um, revelations from the Old Testament that the Virgin Mary will conceive and will bear a son. She's a virgin in giving birth as well as a virgin in conceiving Jesus. Um, and another great prophecy from the Old Testament is the one you mentioned. Uh, It was the first reading for this past Sunday, the fourth Sunday of Advent, from the second book of Samuel. Or if you have an older Bible, uh, the the, um, uh, Duo-Rames, it would be the, the, the second book of Kings, because in the older Bibles there are four books of Kings, okay? And um, are we running out of time here? We are. We're ready to take it. I was so absorbed with okay. everything you were saying, Father. I, I lost. We'll, we'll, we'll be back shortly after a, after a quick break. Hello, my name is Mother Mary David. I'm a Sister of Charity of Our Lady Mother of the Church from Baltic, Connecticut. I think Catholic Radio is really important in the world today because it offers an opportunity to bring God's message to a world that really is starving for that message. So many people are taken up with so many things that are materialistic and the hunger in their soul is left empty. Catholic Radio helps to satisfy that hunger. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at WSFIRadio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, 
Libertyville, Illinois, 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. The Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. Okay, we are back for the second segment of the Marian Hour today, December 21st, pardon me, 23rd, which is the Feast of St. John of Conti, or St. John Cantius. And we're talking today about, um, well, I, I left off talking about the preparation for the Incarnation. Jesus, the, the, he's conceived and, and Mary gives birth to him, it's called the fullness of time because all of creation centers on Christ and it's the fullness of time also because all those prophecies of the Old Testament are fulfilled in, in Jesus. For example, Isaiah chapter 7, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, his name shall be Emmanuel. Uh, the Proto-Evangelium, I will put enmity between you, Satan, the woman, your seed and hers, she will crush your head. And I left off at another, discussing another Old Testament prophecy, uh, one of the great ones that helps to link the Old and New Testaments together, and it's from the second book of Samuel, which I mentioned if you have an older Bible, uh, the newer Bibles, New American, you have First and Second Samuel, then First and Second Kings. In the older Bibles, you have just four books of Kings. So, what is the second book of Samuel in the newer, you know, uh, naming of the books of the Old Testament would be the second book of Kings in, say, like a dual Reigns version. Anyway, second book of Samuel was the first reading for this past Sunday in, in the New Rite of the Mass, and it tells the story of King David. Now, King David was around a thousand years before Christ. And King David, uh, he builds a palace for himself. You know, after he unites all the tribes of, of Israel, he's the king in Jerusalem, he builds a palace for himself, and he, he turns, to, he had a prophet named Nathan. And it, uh, David has this, this bright idea. He says, you know, here am I in this beautiful palace, and the Ark of the Lord, that is the Ark of the Covenant, you know, has been carried around in a tent since the time of Moses. This Ark, the, the, the wooden case for the Ten Commandments, inlaid, overlaid with gold, cherubim on top, okay. So David says to Nathan, his prophet, I'm going to build a house, in other words, a temple for the Lord to house the Ark of the Covenant. And Nathan says, good idea, David. And he goes home that night, and that night God speaks to Nathan. And what does he say to Nathan? He says, you go tell David that he is not going to build a house for me, actually the temple for 
for the Ark of the Covenant would not be built under King David. It would be built under his son Solomon, but David prepared for it. But God told Nathan, go tell David, he's not going to build a house for me. I'm going to build a house for him. A house meaning a royal line. And uh, here's what Nathan says to King David, speaking for God. I will raise up your kin after you, and I will make his kingdom firm. I will be a father to him, he shall be a son to me. You and your kingdom, David, shall endure forever. Your throne shall stand firm forever. This is Second Book of Samuel, chapter 7, where this is related. Now, with this prophecy, the Israelites are now not only waiting for a Messiah, a Redeemer, but the Messiah who will be a king, a king in the line of David. Now, David is from a tribe. We're going to go back now, wait to, you know, hundreds of years before, like seven, 700 years before David. Abraham has a son, Isaac, right? Isaac has a son, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel after he wrestled with an angel all night long because Israel, El, short for Elohim, Hebrew word for God, and El is short for Elohim. Uh, Israel means he who contended with, or you could say wrestled with God. He wrestled with the angel. That's when his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. And Jacob, Israel, had 12 sons. And one of those sons was Judah. If you go to chapter 49 of the Old Testament, you'll see this is after, you know, Joseph, the favorite son, is sold off into Egypt, and then uh, the whole clan moves to Egypt, and uh, Joseph, pardon me, Jacob is dying, the father of Joseph. And, and in f chapter 49 of Genesis, Jacob, it's recorded in chapter 49, his last will and testament. And he speaks to each of his sons. He's got 12 of them, okay? But to Judah, he says, Judah, like a lion's whelp, the scepter shall never depart from Judah. Your, your brother shall bow down to you. So we see even back 1,700 years before Christ, the lion is regarded as, what? The king of beasts, okay? Like a lion he is, okay? The scepter, the king. And uh, this is a prophecy that kings will come and the Messiah king will come from the tribe of Judah. Guess what tribe David is from? Judah. And that's the area around Jerusalem and Bethlehem, Bethlehem where David is born. So David is a descendant from Jacob, from actually from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah. He's from the tribe of Judah. And he's the king 
to whom it is announced by Nathan that uh, your kingdom will stand firm forever, your throne shall stand f firm and endure forever. Well, um, it was clear to the Israelites at this time, from this time on, up until the time of Christ, that the Messiah was going to be a king in the line of David. What was not clear to them was that the Messiah, king in the line of David, was going to be God, made man. This is what is revealed to uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, and anyway, we'll get to, to the Annunciation now, because this was, this was the Gospel for today. At the Annunciation, the Archangel Gabriel, whenever I teach this, I, I really hammer this point home. The Archangel Gabriel, when he speaks to Mary and announces to her that she's going to be the mother of God, he's quoting almost word for word the prophecy of Nathan to King David. Listen again to what Nathan says to King David. I will raise up your kin after you make his kingdom firm. Your house your royal, your royal line, and your kingdom shall endure forever. Your throne shall stand firm forever. Okay. Now, here's what the archangel Gabriel says to the Virgin Mary. Okay. The son you shall name Jesus. He will be great, called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. He will rule over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. So, Every Jew knew this prophecy. Mary knew this was being fulfilled in her, you see, when she hears this. However, what does Mary do, Angela? She objects. What does she say to the angel? How can this be since I don't know a man? Right. Yeah. Well, to know Joseph, she uses, it's the present tense, but it's meant to indicate the future as well. How can this be since I do not know man? or I have no relations with a man. That was the English translation we were using in the New American Bible for Sundays, okay? Um, what does this reveal to us? That Mary had taken a vow of virginity, okay? She never intended to marry Joseph. Joseph married her, uh, her with this understanding. Otherwise, uh, you know, normally, she's, she's, she's legally married, actually, to Joseph. The marriage of, of the Jews was in two parts. The, the engagement was you're legally married. Then you come to live together. St. Luke tells us that the Annunciation takes place between the engagement, the betrothal, and their living together. Now, if, if an angel announces that you know, you're a young woman, you're, you have a wedding date set, that you're going to conceive and bear a son, you would think, oh, well, when I come together with my, my spouse, I'll, I'll have a child. Mary says, no, how can this be? I, I do not know man. She never intended to know him. That's how we have to interpret this. Otherwise, her, her words make no sense, because she would have normally thought that I'll have relations with Joseph and then have a son. So, um, the Archangel Gabriel reassures her. How does he do it? What does he tell her? Nothing's impossible with God. But he says, how is she going to conceive? Oh, we said the Holy, Holy Spirit will yes. overshadow you. Yes, yeah. the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and you will conceive. So she, she's, she's not going to have relations with Joseph. And so Mary, 
she she was open. This is what the, the, the fathers of the church tell us, Augustine and the others. Mary was open to doing God's will. Okay, well, well if you, Lord, you want me to break my vow of virginity and have relations with Joseph, I'll do it. But the angel reassures her and says, you know, you, you will conceive by the Holy Spirit. So, um, what does Mary do? Well, she says yes. She gives her fiat. That's the Latin. Let it be done to me, as you say. And um, at my, my homily this past Sunday, I'll, I'll read this. I, I quoted from uh, one of the great lights of the Middle Ages, St. Bernard of Clairvaux. And he has a beautiful prose piece. This is in the Daily Office, the Office of Readings. Um, it's a homily in praise of the Virgin Mary. And he's speaking to Mary as if he's speaking to her before she says yes, after the angel announces this. Okay? It's really beautiful. And this is what this is what he says, he addresses Mary. He says, Oh Mary, the price of our salvation is offered to you. We shall be set free at once if you consent. Tearful Adam begs this of you, O loving virgin. Abraham begs it. King David begs it. All the other holy patriarchs, your ancestors, ask it of you. This is what the whole earth waits for, for on your word depends comfort for the wretched, ransom for the captive, freedom for the condemned, indeed salvation for all the sons of Adam, the whole of your race. Answer quickly, O virgin. Reply in haste to the angel. Answer with a word. Receive the word of God. Speak your own word. Conceive the divine word. Breathe a passing word. Embrace the eternal word. Well, we know what happened, right? Well, he said yes to the angel. She says she speaks the word and she conceives the word. So, um, and let me see. Well, we, we have a few minutes before our break. I'm, I'm just going to say, uh, you know, with the incarnation, the word becomes flesh. There are many beautiful commentaries by the saints. I, I quoted a few. St. Leo the Great, Pope Leo the Great um, uh, is one of them, St. Irenaeus. Here I'll quote St. Augustine. This is what Augustine says about Mary conceiving Jesus okay, and carrying him in her womb for nine months. Okay. He whose hands governed the world lay in the manger. The infant that he was, he was also the word. Him whom the heavens cannot contain, the womb of one woman bore. She ruled our ruler. She carried him in whom we are and exist. She gave milk to our bread. He's the living bread from heaven. O wondrous humility in which the greatness of God lay hid. See, St. Louis de Montfort you know, speaks about how Jesus lived in Mary for nine months after the incarnation. Uh, I'll quote another saint here, St. Anselm, speaking about Jesus in the womb of Mary after the incarnation, after her fiat. 
he says, the whole universe was created by God and God was born of Mary. He who could create all things from nothing would not remake his ruined creation without Mary. And um, here's still another St. Proclus of Constantinople. He's from the 8th century, from the East. He, he says this, Loving man, he, the Son of God, became a man, not being one before. But remaining God, he became man without change. And so he became like me for my sake, becoming what he was not, yet retaining all that he was. He became man finally to make our sufferings his own, and thus prepare for us adoption as sons to win for us that kingdom. So uh, we can see here how, you know, in the in the mind of the the fathers of the church, these great authors of antiquity, you know, the conception, the caring of Jesus in Mary's womb, his birth, and then, you know, his saving us on the cross. This is all, you know, a thread, so to speak, tied together. Uh, I'll quote one more before our break, quickly. Okay, this is a Sido Gregory Thaumaturgus from the 6th century. We're not sure who wrote it, but very beautiful. Okay. He's speaking about the Incarnation. Okay. It's a, it's a sermon on the Annunciation. The mystery which transcends all wonders. The Virgin brought forth and bore in her hand him who bears the whole of creation by his word. She nourished with her milk him who imparts sustenance and life to everything that hath breath. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes who binds the whole creation fast with his word. She laid him in a manger, he who rides seated on the cherubim. A light shone round him who lighteth the whole creation. From the east came those who brought gifts to him who for our sakes became poor. And the mother of God kept these words, pondered them in her heart like one who was the receptacle of all the mysteries. Okay, it's time to take a little break. We'll be back shortly with the third segment of the Marian Hour. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MAT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states.
Hello, this is Father Dwight Campbell. I'm back with the third segment of our Marian Hour on this December 23rd, a couple of days before Christmas. And, um, you know, contemplating today the incarnation birth of our Lord. And, you know, I'll, I'll just say this. The, the Virgin Mary is our model. Her fiat is meant to be an example to imitate for all of us because she, she, she says, let it be done to me according to thy word. Okay, whatever you will from me, God, I will do. And therefore, our response to God should be like Mary's. We should be doing God's will at all times. Um, St. Ambrose, great bishop doctor of the uh, 4th century, he was the bishop of Milan, Italy. He helped to convert a bad boy named Augustine, another doctor, bishop doctor of the church. And this is what St. Ambrose says about, about imitating Mary. It's very beautiful. He says, Christ has only one mother in the flesh, but we all bring forth Christ in faith. In other words, we conceive and bring him forth in faith. A soul that believes, both conceives, and brings forth the word of God, says St. Ambrose. Every soul that receives the word of God, if only it keeps chaste, remaining pure and free from sin, its modesty undefiled, the soul that succeeds in this proclaims the greatness of the Lord just as Mary's soul magnifies the Lord and her spirit rejoiced in God, her Savior. So, a beautiful notion that many other saints, St. Augustine and a number of medieval writers, they take up this idea that we can be uh, imitating Mary in conceiving and bringing forth Christ by our faith and our obedience in faith. In fact, when Jesus says, uh, in answer to a question when someone was asking him, your mother's outside, he says, who is my brother, my sister, and my mother? My mother, my sister, my brother are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Okay. In other words, we can all be mothers of Christ, conceiving, bringing him forth in ourselves and to do it for others as well by, by being lights of Christ to others. Well, uh, with with that said, I'm going to go to some uh, poetry here, um, poetry and prose on this this December 23rd, a couple of days before the birth of our Lord. Um, I'm going to quote from a couple of different authors. Um, one is one of my favorites, uh, St. Robert Southwell. St. Robert Southwell was uh, one of the English martyrs. And uh, after King Henry VIII broke away from the Catholic Church, declared himself to be head of the church in England, 
in the decades that followed, uh, the Catholics were persecuted, especially under, say, Queen Elizabeth, and uh, many martyrs shed their blood for Christ. One of these was uh, a Jesuit named Robert Southwell, who's one of the great poets of the 16th century. He wrote some beautiful poems, and I'll just say this, poems are um, a way that, that we communicate, you know, with concepts, uh, we communicate truths of our faith with, with language that really draws people, it enraptures them, both their heart and the mind of the reader. And the charm of a poem comes from, you know, its rhyme scheme, uh, the, the, the rhythm, the meter, they appeal to our emotions and intellect. And St. Robert Southwell, uh, uh, he was one of these English martyrs who returned to England after being away, being educated away from, from England, and uh, knew that he was risking his life because if under Queen Elizabeth, if, if you were caught uh, offering the Mass as a Catholic priest, you were hanged, drawn, and quartered. Angela, are you familiar with the, the practice of being hanged, drawn, and quartered? Have you ever heard why, that? Why do they do it in that order? You would think they'd draw you, quarter you, and then hang you. Well, you, they would hang you not to kill you, but just to... Stretch you out. Well, to, yeah, to, to give you, you know, them. choke, you'd be choking, and, oh. you know, you're half dead. Then they let you down. They Then they, to draw you means they cut open your stomach and they took out your organs. Oh. While you're alive, you're looking at this, they would burn them. And then they'd, they'd quarter you. They'd, they'd have maybe four horses pull you apart and uh, it was quite brutal and um, oh. St. Robert Southwell one of the Jesuit martyrs uh, was canonized in 1970 one of the 40 martyrs of England and Wales canonized at that time he, he spent three years in the Tower of London after his arrest he was tortured nine times before he was hanged, drawn, and quartered at Tyburn, famous place of execution of, um, you know, these these so-called uh, heretics, according to the you know the English Crown, but Catholic heroes and and saints, martyrs. And while in prison, uh, he penned um, a number of poems. He did so before he was in prison. I'm going to quote one of his poems, "The Nativity of Christ." Very beautiful. I've quoted from this at, in Christmas homilies. And here is Robert Southwell's Nativity of Christ. And uh, understand, he's talking about, when he says in the opening line, the Father, he means uh, the Son of God is really like a father to the Virgin Mary because he is the creator of Mary. Okay, so in that sense, you could call the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one God, the Father of Mary, okay, in, in this sense, because he's God, the creator of Mary. And here's his opening line in the rest of the poem, the Nativity of Christ. Behold, the Father is his daughter's son. The bird that built the nest is hatched therein. The old of years and hour hath not outrun eternal life to live 
doth now begin. The word is dumb. The mirth of heaven doth weep. Might feeble is, and force doth faintly creep. O dying souls, behold your living spring. O dazzled eyes, behold your sun of grace. Dull ears, attend what word this word doth bring. Up heavy hearts with joy, your joy embrace. From death, from dark, from deafness, from despair, this life, this light, this word, this joy repairs. Gift better than himself God doth not know. Gift better than his God no man can see. This gift doth here the giver given bestow. Gift to this gift let each receiver be. God is my gift, himself he freely gave me. God's gift am I, and none but God shall have me. Man altered by sin, he was from man to beast. Beast's food is hay, hay is all mortal flesh. Now God is flesh, and lies in manger pressed as hay, the brutish sinner to refresh. O happy field wherein this fodder grew, whose taste doth us from beasts to men renew. Now, <clears throat> you had to really concentrate in order to get all that. Uh, you can look it up, you can Google it, St. Robert Southwell, the Nativity of Christ. But it's very beautiful because he speaks of how, you know, God, uh, you know, was born in, in the one he created, okay? He becomes um, his daughter's son in this sense. And um, the word is dumb because he cannot speak within Mary's womb. And might feeble is, okay? Well, he's, he's the Almighty, and yet he's feeble in Mary's womb, depending upon her for his, his life, his nourishment. And then he goes on to speak of, uh, you know, we who are dying souls, behold your living spring. It is Christ living in Mary, okay? Behold your son of grace. That is Jesus living in Mary, and, um, you know, this life, this light, this word, this joy repairs. So uh, the word is going to repair, you know, our joy, which was taken away, and we were left despairing in darkness, in death, from Adam's sin. And gift better than himself, God doth know. That's why, you know, God gives us himself. And... Um, you know, God's gift am I, and none but God shall have me. Okay, We are all a gift from God, and we have to make ourselves gifts. And then, he, the end of the poem, man altered was by sin from man to beast. Okay, Well, this is our wounded human nature. We became like beasts, following our own desires, our sinful desires from concupiscence. Okay? Beasts food is hay. Hay is all mortal flesh. So he's referring now to Jesus being laid in the manger. Wow. Okay. He's laid in, in a feeding trough. That's what a manger is. Hay for animals. And 
now God is flesh and lies in manger pressed as hay, the brutest sinner to refresh because he is going to become our food, the living bread from heaven. Okay, so bread, the bread that is, you know, hay turned into bread, hay you, the, or you, you know, you, the wheat, uh, you, you harvest it, it becomes bread, it's changed into Christ's body and blood, whose taste doth from us beasts to men renew. Okay, very beautiful. Now, um, that, that should be in every Christmas card. You know how you get these letters from people about what they're doing this year? Yes. That would be like an incredible insert in every Christmas card to say what Christmas is all about. Yeah, it is, yes. It's very beautiful, Father. It is. Now, <coughs> I'll, uh, I won't have time to quote every poem I brought, but wow. uh, I'm going to quote a couple more before I go here, okay? Now, one is by another Jesuit, and this is one of the North American martyrs, St. Jean de Brebeuf. Okay. He was um, martyred in 1649 by the Iroquois. His, you know, he was stripped. I mean, he, he was actually, his, his skin was stripped off his body. His oh. tongue pulled out. I mean, he went through horrible oh. sufferings. And, um, oh. you know, the, Indi the, 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 the Iroquois were so impressed by his bravery, they, they cut open his heart and they, they ate it oh. because they thought they would get courage by eating his heart. So uh, when, when oh. they, they helped to um, give a language to the, you know, the, the Indians, the Native Americans that they were ministering to, and um, uh, they, they wrote poems in, in Algonquin, in the Huron languages, and this is called a Huron carol, a Christmas carol, that the Indians would understand. So think of yourself as, you know, you're a Huron, and, and there's, there's many references to, like, you know, how the Native Americans would think. The Huron carol, okay. Twas in the moon of winter time, when all the birds had fled, that mighty Gitche Manitou sent angel choirs instead. Before their light, the stars grew dim, and wandering hunters heard the hymn, Jesus, your king is born, Jesus is born in excelsis gloria. O hearken to the angel's word, do not decline to heed the message which you heard, the child divine. As they proclaim has come this morn of Mary pure, let us adore, Jesus is born in excelsis gloria. With a lodge of broken bark, the tender babe was found, a ragged robe of rabbit skin enwrapped his beauty round. But as the hunter braves drew nigh, the angel song rang loud and nigh, Jesus your king is born, Jesus is born in excelsis gloria. The earliest moon of winter time is not so round and fair as was the ring of glory on the helpless infant there. The chiefs from far before him knelt with gifts of fox and beaver pelt. Jesus, your king is born. Jesus is born in excelsis gloria. O children of the forest free, O sons of Manitou, the holy child of earth and heaven is born today for you. Come kneel before the radiant boy who brings you beauty, peace, and joy. Jesus, 
Your king is born, Jesus is born in a Chelsea's Gloria. So, very beautiful, huh? They wrap him not in swaddling clothes, but in rabbit pelts. <laughs> and the, uh, the braves come, and the, the chiefs bringing their gifts instead of the kings, okay? So, anyway, I'm going to end here with another Robert Southwell poem. This is my favorite poem. This was written by Southwell right before he died in, in prison in the Tower of London. And um, it's got a strange title. It's called The Burning Babe. Okay. And here's Robert Southwell's Burning Babe. Okay. As I in hoary winter's night stood shivering in the snow, surprised I was with sudden heat which made my heart to glow. And lifting up a fearful eye to view what fire was near, a pretty babe all burning bright did in the air appear who scorched with exceeding heat such floods of tears did shed as though his floods would quench his flames with which his tears were fed alas quoth he but newly born in fiery heats i fry yet none approach to warm their hearts or feel my fire but i my faultless breast the furnace is the fuel wounding thorns Love is the fire, and sighs the smoke, the ashes, shame, and scorns. The fuel justice layeth on, and mercy blows the coals. The metal in this furnace wrought are men's defiled souls, for which, as now on fire I am, to work them to the good, so will I melt into a bath to wash them in my blood. With this he vanished out of sight, and swiftly shrunk away, and straight I called it unto mind that it was Christmas Day. Wow, Father. That's that the, is the so beautiful poem of, a, of one who shed his blood for Christ, a martyr. Well, wow, we're going to end here. You need a priestly blessing, Father, yes. and Merry Christmas, of course. Yes, Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year to everyone. Um, and we'll... we'll and with a blessing through the intercession of the sorrowful and immaculate heart of Mary, may Almighty God bless you and keep you close to the heart of Christ, her Son, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Bless Christmas, Father. Thank you. You're welcome. God is